Well, the Easter weekend saw NBL 1 West enter the second round, and it was also the time where a number of Perth Lynx players competed for the first time since losing the WNBL Grand Final to Melbourne. But of all performances from Lynx personnel, it was the effort of their assistant coach that stood out. Nat Burton changed out of the coaching uniform, put on the Warwick Senators gear, and proceeded to have 31 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, four steals, and one block. That's one hell of a game, and I'm pleased to say she's on the line with us now. Nat Burton, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, did you see that performance coming? Uh, Not in the slightest. (laughs) Uh, It's been a while since I've played, obviously, not playing. First, I'm not playing WNBL. So um, first break and longest break I've had since I got back from college in 2012. So I actually was a little bit um, nervous about how I would play and whether I'd still be able to do the things I used to be able to do. But, um, yeah, so that that performance shocked me. So you spent 36 minutes on court, which is a hell of a long time. You're, you must be in bloody good nick. So how did you combine the challenge of coaching with preparing for a season where you know you're going to have to spend that long on court? Um, I think that I'm just uh, from playing for so long, I like to stay active. And so I'm always, you know, keeping – fit and I'm always doing something um, and then preseason started and while I was also still coaching um, I I knew what was coming and I still wanted to prepare I think after having such a long career I couldn't like just go into this season just being like yeah whatever like I, that's just not me and I knew that that I wouldn't be giving you my best if I was doing that so um, I made sure that I got as ready as I could but I um, I got COVID a couple of weeks ago so that threw a spanner in the works and then um, flying back and forth from Melbourne with the links for the last couple of weeks it's been a bit of a jumpy and rough um, pre-season to start but Somehow it worked. <laughs> so you were part of the furniture at Perry Lakes, really. It was, it was where you grew up and where you had such success. Why the move to Warwick at this point of your life? Yeah, it uh, was a big move for me, really, having started there when I was under 12, when I first started playing basketball all the way through now being 33. It was, um, it was really big. And I think the biggest thing for me was I wanted to make sure that if I was still playing, um, I was enjoying it. I I didn't feel the need to reach amazing heights. I've I've achieved a lot in my career, and and I know that when I was achieving those things, I was always on the hunt for it, and um, quite often that left me feeling more empty than fulfilled. But as I've come towards the end of my career, I've realised that the reason I play is because I enjoy it. Um, otherwise, it's not worth everything, all the all the effort that I give in, and um, all the sacrifices I make. So. Really, it was about, okay, I want to have fun. Where can I have that? Um, and when I realised that I was only staying at Hawks just just out of um, well, because I just didn't think that I would ever leave, I w- didn't allow myself to ever leave, I was like, well, that's, that's not on. That's not fun. Um, and in the work that I'm doing with young athletes, I want to make sure that I can tell them to go and find fun when they're playing and to hold on to that. And I couldn't tell them to do that if I wasn't doing that myself. So that was probably the biggest part of of that for me was just where can I have fun and, and finding it. You mentioned something, the empty 
instead of being fulfilled. Like it's it's sports hard. Like it's it's a really hard thing to do, especially professionally. We saw Katie Ebsery retire in the offseason and talk about how she wished she'd been kinder to herself and that she was put so much pressure on herself at times. You achieved so much. Like was it always you never felt good enough, even though there was always something at another level to go to? Was that the problem that if you achieve one thing, it's like, well, I haven't achieved the next? I think it's a fine line between perfectionism and striving for excellence. And I was always, and I know a lot of athletes are on that hunt for the next thing, you know. They, I can only talk about me. I was... I never felt good enough and I was always, okay, if I make the Olympics, then maybe I'll feel good enough. And so, you know, I would put everything into that and and I achieved that and I felt the same, maybe even more empty. It didn't give me what I was searching for because I was searching for something outside of myself. I was trying to feel good enough based on these external achievements. Uh, and I think every athlete has that a little bit of that, you know, that that gives us a drive, but I know that mine bordered on, you know, unhealthy and and that fed into me not being happy in basketball and not really having that fulfilment. So when I flicked it to, um, okay, like I can still achieve things and have fun and enjoy it, well, now I'm okay with making mistakes. I'm, I'm more okay with who I am and, and my identity isn't as tied to basketball as much as it has been. Um and, and I find that now I'm enjoying basketball a lot more because I've flipped that mindset. So was that a decision you made to retire because of that or did you make that decision about changing things because you retired and were able to reflect? Like you, you could still be playing WNBL, but you've chosen to go a, a different path. Where did that decision come in? Um, that that mindset shift happened maybe four years ago. Um, so I got to the point where I was playing basketball because I loved it and I enjoyed it. Um, and I knew that my life was great without basketball. Like I didn't need basketball anymore. I didn't need to play to, to feel whole anymore. Um, so I could make that decision in that space around, well, I don't, my life with basketball is great. So I'm going to make sure my life, if basketball is still in it, is also great. And I could make a decision there that was, okay, now I'm playing for fun and I enjoy it. And so I think my decision to retire was more around, like, I'm, I'm okay without it. Um, is there a great situation where I'm willing to give up that, the energy that I now want to put into my business and, and the work that I do with other athletes? Um, and I, that's what my decision was made off of, really. Now, when we look at the, the one of the features of the last round was the efforts of the Lynx girls coming back into the, the level, the, the level second tier level, I suppose we could refer to it as. And Alex Sharp had 20 points and 18 rebounds. Emma Clark, 31 and 15. Emma Gandini, 21 and 9. Then there's 14 points and 8 rebounds from Mackenzie Clint-Toycard. And Mia Sadie had 23 points, 12 rebounds and 5 assists. Like, they are some big numbers from them. Like, you must have been really thrilled they were able to push the disappointment of the previous weekend behind them and still be able to go out and perform because that's hard to do. It is. It is. And it's been a long season for everyone involved, uh, but let alone these players who their minutes, you know, they weren't the starting five, so their minutes weren't as um, big as the starting fives were. So they've put in the same work all season long, training times. They've given up the same um, hourly commitment as everyone else in the team. And I think that they were just hungry to get out there and 
play. And I know that that's a lot of them. They just, they just want to play. Again, that's why we play is because we enjoy the game side of things. And um, they've been given the opportunity to just go out there and uh, use the skills that they've been building up throughout the whole season, playing against your Sammies, your Marinas, your Jackies in trainings and playing with them and learning from them. It's like a release. So I have no doubt that they all enjoyed themselves tremendously just going out there on the weekend. And it was, it's so good as numbers. It's really good to see what these players are capable of um, because, they, yeah, they definitely worked hard for it. Now, we hear all the time, regardless of any sport, that a lot of people look at players who are playing at the second tier and go, oh, they're good enough to play at, at the elite level. And, and everyone just assumes that you can step up from one to the other. And I, I think cricket's a really good example of that, where everyone remembers Adam Voges, who went on and had scored 130 on debut, yet... The next 14 Australian batsmen after him averaged 22 in their first innings at international level. So it just shows there's a big difference between second tier and the elite level. I think Emma Gandini saw that in the first couple of games she played where she was like, whoa, this is this is a different world all of a sudden. But by the end of the season, she was a different player. How big is the gap? Like, but if, you, if you're a player now thinking, I'm playing in BL1 West, how big is the gap to get to being even just part of a squad like the Lynx? Um. It's hard to describe the gap. I don't think it's massive. It's definitely there, and it's it's there in small ways, like the speed of the game, um, passes that you'd be able to pass in NBL 1 West wouldn't necessarily get there in, in WNBL. The strength of players is bigger. Remember, you're now in WNBL, it's almost full-time professional, um, and whereas in NBL 1 West, it's... Every, most of the team has day jobs, um, nine to fives, and then they go to training. And then um, so the gap is there. But honestly, when you look across all of the NBL one leagues um, across Australia, the, all the Opals players are in there, minus a few who are at WNBA and whatnot. So it's not the gap's not big enough that people don't want to play in the league. The um, the girls that do still play in the league, they use it for different reasons. They want to keep that game fitness. Um, they enjoy playing still, and they want to make sure that that they're ready for the next thing, whatever these Opals commitments or the next WNBL season. So I think yes, a gap, but not tremendous. And I think it's getting smaller and smaller. And the more players that, like your Emma Gandini's, who get to go to that the WNBL level and experience it, and then take those skills back to NBL one level, we're just like making that gap smaller and smaller. So we've seen a big focus from the links on bringing in WA talent. Um, what's your advice for the young ones who want to be the next Emma Clark or Taya Burrows or, or the mature player who wants to be Emma Gandini? Like, what do they need to do this season, do you feel, to give themselves a chance of being noticed and being ready for if they get the opportunity to attend a camp or a training session where you, where you want to impress? What do you need to do now to be ready for September? Yeah, it's definitely your two training sessions a week that NBL one requires and your games isn't isn't going to cut it so i think uh, if you go down to bendad on any given day during the week there's always nbl1 players there who get that who are who are hungry for the next level and so they're there doing that extra work so that's a given but i think it's about understanding what what your strengths are and what um what your role can be on a team so at at, at a wnbl tryouts the the team the coaches um, 
they have their starting five or they have their imports. They have their, their 20-point scorers per game. What they're looking for is those people that do the little things, that work their butts off, that um, that can fill that role. And I think players need to start to understand because I never understood. I thought best players get picked, but it's not necessarily the case. It's um, how can we build a team to win a championship? And what, what missing piece do we need to fill um, right now with these junior players or, or has there been someone with crazy stats who we want to give a go and see how they go at this next level? It's, it's those kinds of understanding, but obviously these players are already working hard because they're trying to reach the next level. So it's just being ready for any opportunity that comes. You mentioned strengths there before. I love watching you play because you were different to everyone else who you're competing with. In your last year at the Lynx, you were the average height of every other starting centre in the league, but you were 16 kilos lighter than every other than the average throughout the comp. Yet you played in a team and you led that team to the top of the table and only the fixture really cost you the chance to, to play for a championship. So you defied the convention. And you, by focusing on your own strengths, how did you do that going into games? I reckon a lot of coaches would have been saying, put on some weight, go do, do more gym work, do this, do that. But your athleticism was one of your features. So what do players need to do to focus on their strengths instead of hearing that nagging voice in their ear saying, be different? It took me a long time to realise that because like when I went to college, I that's what they were doing. I'd have to sit in the weight room after every session and drink two protein shakes. Every meal I was at with coaches was about, oh, get like get more on your plate, like keep eating, got to bulk up. And I bought into that while I was at college and I was never, I could never be what that coach wanted me to be. But that took me away from the strengths, my strengths, my speed, my agility. I'm, you know, I can still hit hard despite not being um, having the kilos on me that, that some of the other bigger players do. So I think when an athlete can look within and look at, okay, what do I first of all get joy doing on the court? Cause I love to run, um, you know, and that, and that aligns with my agility. What, what am I good at? And can I um, like notice my strengths and admit them and then work on them and how do I bring them into a game and how do I make sure I bring that into um, into any team um, and, and hold on to that despite the noise. So I brought into a lot of noise from um, media and people writing articles. Why is she in the team? She's not strong enough or whatever. So I think when you can block that out as much as possible, I don't think you can ever 100% block it out, but when you can start to block it out and go back into, okay, what are my strengths and how do I give them? What are the actions that I can do on the court that are going to display these strengths um, to play well to help the team? So are you able to send that message from a coaching perspective? Because it, it, that's where it gets hard because everyone wants to improve the, the, the weaker areas of a player while enhancing the positives. And I suppose Damien Martin's the classic example over his career, the best defensive player we've ever seen. Not a great shooter, but everyone was able to go, you're such a good defensive player. We can hone in on that and you can become the greatest of all time. Are you able to, as a coach, remind people and stay in that window of strength, strength, strengths, rather than getting sucked into improve some weaknesses? Yeah, I, I try to. And I... Um I really try to have those conversations as much as possible. And I think it's really important that we do as coaches have that and, and, and start to get that messaging across. Obviously you need to work on your um, weak points. Like we know that, but I think we um, as athletes, as people in general are too good at 
um, knowing what we're not good at and focusing on that and finding all the ways that we fell short. And that can be incredibly debilitating because it, it takes our focus and our attention away from the things we did well. Um, and in a society where, you know, especially for basketball, it, you're good if you can score points, you know, and, and we hear that messaging constantly all the way up from juniors, through the media, everywhere. So a lot of the work that I do with athletes that I had to do with myself was taking away from that scoring mindset, taking away from the things that you don't think you did good enough. And yes, focusing on, um, okay, what did you do that was good? Um, and, and how can you continue to bring those strengths to every game that you play? And I think the coaches have the biggest responsibility in making sure that messaging is getting through to athletes. Hey, what you're bloody good at. You're bloody good at winning. Um, three SPL championships, a title in Germany, bronze medal at the World Cup, into an Olympics. Like your team success and what you're able to filter in from your skills into helping teams must was amazing. What do you look back on with the most fondness now out of all the success you've had at different levels? Because success is success, whether it's SPL or going to the Olympics. Like you're still part of a, a group that that means something to you. Which of those groups that you look back on with the most uh, enjoyment now? Yeah, I think this past experience with the Lynx was um, really highlighted to me. Championships are rare. Some players go through their entire career without winning a championship, and I haven't won one at WNBL. I really wanted to win my first one as a coach, uh, as an assistant coach, but there's maybe more time for that in the future. But, um, yeah, so when I look back at those rare and amazing championships that are special to me, I mean – it wasn't a championship, but the bronze medal at the World Championships in Turkey in 2014, that was that was probably the most exhilarating I've ever felt from basketball. Um, any bronze medal usually feels quite quite um, beautiful because you've you win your last game and we were playing against Turkey and um, in Turkey, so the home team, and we scored like the first 19 points of in of the game and I just remember that stadium being dead quiet because they were just silenced to, in shock and that was fantastic. So that's probably um, the biggest the biggest one that I look back on. Now, tell me about your life off-field now. You mentioned a couple of times you work with a lot of athletes and you're helping with a lot of people. What's your job? My job is all sorts of things. I do um, other coaching, so individual-type coaching with young athletes and group sessions, but my real passion is my business, which is called Enriched Athletes, and it's I, I'm a mentor. So I, um, I work one-on-one with athletes and I it's conversations about their mindsets and about the things that came up for them in a game and, um, and, and tools for them to try and new ideas and new concepts that I've, that I've used towards the end of my career that I've found helped me that, that I've, I've read about and, and understood. So that's my real, real passion. I also do a lot of um, like mindset training for other folks for other athletes, so like group sessions, and I run um, like an athlete wellbeing program at at our junior association in WA, and um, that's just trying to get people to understand that we we can we can start to look after this side of uh, athletes that we've been forgetting, and that I certainly didn't have. You know, the mindset, the mental health, the uh, work life sport balance. 
all of that well-being type stuff that we just forget about when we focus so much on our performance on the court, but is also a massive part of that influences our performance on the court and influences every other area of our life. So that was a lot. I don't really, I can't really say that I have one type of job, but um, it keeps me busy and I just, I love it. I, I really think that my whole career, yes, I achieved these amazing things, but I definitely feel like, and I'm using that now, um, it was all setting me up to be able to help other athletes who are going through the same thing and walking the same pathways. You only have to look at Marina Mabry, I suppose, who missed that free throw in, in game two and then came out and, and had to recover in three days from a mindset perspective to get back on court, refocus and, and play. Like you, there's, there's examples right in front of people of the elite level who have had the lowest of lows and then have to get back to try to achieve the highest of highs, isn't it? It's, it's not easy. Yeah, sport is can be really hard. And at the end of the day, people say it's just a game, and it is a game. But in the moment on the court, in front of everyone when you're exposed, you feel it feels like life or death. And so there's a lot of slippery slopes in sport, a lot of areas that we have to be careful of that um, we can fall into the traps if we're not looking after our mindsets and our, and our mental health. So um, I know that Marina works with a performance mindset coach herself. So the top athletes are, are understanding that this is a side of um, us as humans that we need to look after um, that can help our performance on the court, yes, but can also just help us in all general life because coming back to, yes, sport, uh, basketball is a game, sport is just sport, but it is bigger um, and it reaches it reaches a heck of a lot more than, than what we think it does. So that come, it makes sense that we have to look after it, um, our mindsets and ourselves as we're dealing with it and living it. And, of course, right now the focus for you is on playing as opposed to all the other stuff. It is an Easter weekend where we're talking, so you have, have hopefully been able to enjoy life rather than working the entire time. And if you want to watch an Australian Olympian in action, head down to Warwick Stadium on Friday night. It's Nat Burton's Warwick Senators up against the Eastern Suns. Tip-off is at 6.30 p.m. Anyone who plays sport at any level knows that game two is harder than game one. How's the body feeling a couple of days out right now from the, la- from the last game? Do you feel human again or are you still walking around going, I played some sport the other day? <laughs> I feel human. I feel good. Um, we've got a couple of training sessions this week before the next one. So, yeah, it'll be good to keep on rolling with the season. And I've been enjoying it so far. Well, good luck. Hopefully things keep going really well for you because you've been an absolute star and a great role model for everyone in WA basketball. So thank you for joining us on the Dribble Podcast. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for the Dribble Podcast this week. Remember, keep logging on to thewest.com.au for all of your basketball news and pick up your copy of The West Australian. Thanks to Samantha Rogers for her production work. Thank you to Michael Fraser II and Nat Burton for their time. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Dribble Podcast. <laughs>